right. So we are continuing in our study through Galatians. I believe this is the seventh week, but I think I've lost count. Um, So this morning we will be reading in, uh, our text this morning is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Uh, Let's read that this morning together. I'm the man, uh, I'm sorry, that's, I'm in Lamentations. I had a bookmark, it's a Lamentations. Sorry about that. All right. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he, so, does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord God, as we meet this morning, I just pray this is more than a social hour, Lord, that this is a time of meeting with you, and that your Holy Spirit falls heavily in this room and teaches us your word. God, speak to us through your word this morning and change our hearts and our lives uh, that it would not, we would not be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, God. That as we leave this place this morning, we will leave changed and uh, live out our faith this week. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through Galatians. Uh, and like I uh, said before, you know, the Apostle Paul is the author and he's writing this uh, to, to Galatian, the churches in the a- area of Asia Minor that he had planted on one of his missionary journeys. And they started off well. And really, this letter is to, to a church that started off well, and now that they've been running for a while, they have gotten off course. Uh, and, and I think there's a warning here for us today. I mean, because we've been going, this church has been here for what, near 60 years now? I mean, it, more? How, do you know how many years? 70-some. See, like, okay, so we've been running a while now. This church has been planted in this community and running a while now. You know, so it's a warning to us this morning, are we off course, you know, like, or, or, or at least guarded against being off course. And so he writes this letter out of concern. And you can hear, especially this morning's passage, the fatherly kind of tone he takes here with the Galatians. 
Because uh, and, and he's concerned for them. This group called the Judaizers or the Circumcision Party is now selling them this lie, this false doctrine that they've got to uh, do works. It's, it's, it's Jesus. Yes, you've got to accept Jesus, but also works, com- keeping the old law to be saved. Uh, and, you know, and so briefly, like he, he starts building this argument uh, against ju- the, the, the Judaizers and, a, and a de- basically a defense against the gospel and calls us to defense, defend against all false doctrines. Um, but then he gets into the, the specifics in the last couple sermons we got, we got talking about in chapter 2 that he went and he addressed this with the leaders there in um, Jerusalem. And they, were, and they compared notes. He took his gospel and they compared notes. And they were in agreement. Uh, and then that was the battle for whether the church believed that you, had to, uh, that you needed to do anything besides just believe and have faith. And they said, no, all you need is faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But then, then it came that, that Peter wasn't actually living that out, and he was, he was falling back into keeping the, the law, uh, and he was leading all the Jews with him. And so Peter, uh, Paul had to call Peter out. And we got into that last, uh, last time. The, the defense that he gives uh, uh, Peter is in chapter 2, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and, we, and we talked about what it, you know, like Paul was basically holding up, this is faith, and this is legalism or works, you know, trying to earn your salvation and the, you know, through the law. And we talked about that, about wh- what that looks like in our personal life and how that applies to our, our uh, relationship with God. And this morning, it's going to be kind of more of the same in a way. We're going to talk about that again, uh, faith versus works. But, but it's going to be applied into what does that look like when a church either lives by faith or the church lives by works. Uh, that's what we're going to get into this morning. So you can see right off the bat in, verse cha- uh, verse cha- in chapter 3, verses 1, uh, he says, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? So all of these, he's talking about the beginning. In the beginning, when you started, when you started, Jesus Christ was, was uh, the gospel was proclaimed to you publicly proclaimed to you, and you accepted it. And then you received the Spirit, not by works of the law, but by hearing the gospel in faith. That's all it took, and you received the Holy Spirit. And so now that you've begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the law? So, so Jesus Christ saved you, but you think you've got to earn your, your righteousness now? Like, are you pr- being perfected by the law? So basically, he's comparing where they started and where they are now. And they've gone off track. They've fallen into legalism, trying to earn some measure of righteousness on their own through works. And you can hear that fatherly tone coming out. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? In, in, in verse 4, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? And I, I want to remind you, church, that we have an enemy because these are harsh words, but he's, he's saying somebody's fooled you. Somebody's hoodwinked you. You've fallen under somebody's spell. We have enemy, an enemy. The devil, 1 Peter chapter 5 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy who is trying to sideline us, to make us, uh, irrelevant. He can't steal our salvation, 
but he can make you useless for the work of God, God's kingdom. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is Paul in the book of Corinthians, writing to the Corinthians. He says something very similar to this. He says in chapter 11, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere faith, uh, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So he was afraid with the, the Corinthians that Satan is going to come in and deceive them and lead their thoughts away from being, uh, having a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So uh, this morning, uh, there's a warning to stand against um, all false doctrines, but especially legalism, because that is a, a, a tactic Satan has used to sideline churches, to make them ineffectual for God. And I would say this, that the, the, that the Galatians, and, and, he, and he says, in vain. He's, he's like, if, if, the, if you continue in this, then what you're going through, the hardships you've endured, are in vain. So church, like today, you know, we're small in number. We're, we're going through a hard, a hard point. But if we fall into any uh, legalism, then it's in vain. All the, all, you know, all, all the trouble, all the work, it's in vain, Paul says. And I, I think it's interesting because the Galatians aren't, I don't think the Galatians were on the verge of closing their, their doors. Their church wasn't about to go under. They still had a nu- the numbers. So Paul's still saying, if, even if the church continues, if it, it exists, it's not that it closes its doors. It continues to exist. It's still in vain. You're, you're still useless to God and, and his work. So let, let's, let's, not our, let's not let our work be in vain. So how does God work, though? If we want God to work among us, uh, how does he work? What causes God to work? And he continues in verse 5 of Galatians 3. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do, by, do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. So he holds those two up. He's, those two up. <clears throat> he's like, God has worked in your midst before. And when he's done it, did he do it because you were doing an awesome job keeping a list of rules? Or were you doing it? Or, or what, did he move? Did he work because of faith? And Paul answers the rhetorical question in verse 6 when he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, we don't earn God's favor. Uh, we, it's not like if we do enough good works, we can somehow force the hand of God to, to, to work. Uh, it, 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 we, it's not about our ability. It's not about uh, how good we are at any particular thing because it's not us. It's God's power, uh, and he works through faith. So, we, so what we need to be doing is, is, is and rather than uh, trying to, by our own, you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, you know, that, you know, our own might and work, we need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God, trusting in his goodness and his promises that he's already given. And Paul uses Abraham as the example, because it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. So was Abraham righteous? Apart from God, was Abraham righteous? The answer is no, he wasn't. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. Abraham was not righteous, but he believed God. He trusted in God. He had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he's given to us as an example. 
And so the, and the Jews kind of, like, the Jews, being descendants of Abraham, kind of like, they kind of piggybacked on Abraham. Like, like, well, you know, I'm a descendant of Abraham, so God has favor on me. But, in verse 7, Paul addresses that thought. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this morning, if you have faith, we are considered sons of Abraham. And the Jews, the Jews were relying, a lot of the Jews were relying on their, their lineage as their hope. Like, oh, I'm a descendant of Abraham, and so I have hope there. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like God, I always wondered why God did this. And, I, and, and as I studied this, I think he did it for this purpose, to, to, to dispel that thought. Because um, Abraham had two sons, and the blessing didn't go down to both. Now, God did, was with both, and, and multiplied them both, uh, but he, the blessing came down through Isaac. So Abraham and, and Sarah couldn't have children. I mean, God promised them a child. Uh, and, and Abraham believed God, but eventually they got tired of waiting, and Sarah had the idea, okay, you know, here's my slave. Have a, have a son through my slave, Hagar. And, they, and, and he did, and he had Ishmael. So that's the firstborn, and Isaac's the secondborn. But Isaac was the son of promise, the one promised. And so the blessing came down through Isaac. It wasn't about the bloodline of Abraham. It was about God's work, God's, you know, what God was, had, you know, God's plans. And then even Isaac had more than one son. Isaac had twins and had Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the older one. So normally the older son got, you know, the blessing. But it didn't. It went down to Jacob. So once again, you know, Abraham had, I think Abraham actually had more than two sons. I think he, after Sarah died, he went married again and had more sons. So Abraham had lots of sons, and, but only one of them got the blessing. Then Isaac has two sons, and only Jacob gets the blessing. But then Jacob has 12 sons, and they all get the blessing. I, you know, like, it, and then from then on, like, they're God's people. So I, I, like, I've always wondered why that happened. And I kind of think it's, it was just to dispel the idea that the blessing was going to come down through lineage, that, it, that because your blood related to Abraham, that this blessing it was automatically yours. So those of faith are the sons of Abraham. It has nothing to do with, with being blood related to Abraham. So then continuing in verse 9, I mean 10, uh, he, he moves on, and this is where Paul really holds up the works versus faith. Uh, and I'm going to camp here the rest of the sermon, of these, these next verses. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one will be justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So basically he's saying if you, if you rely on a single work, you are now held accountable for all good works. Like you are, if, that's, if that's where you want to be measured, God's going to measure you that way. It's either you rely solely on God's grace through the cross, Jesus with the cross, or you're relying on works. And he says no one. We're gonna, is going to live up to that. No one will be justified by works. You will fall short. So continuing in verse 12. 
13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we can either live a life based on works or by faith. And the law proved that we could not live up to God's perfection. And so now we fall on, on God's goodness, his grace, his mercy through Jesus Christ. And when we fail to live up to the law, it cursed us. And it condemned us to death. But Christ redeemed us from that curse. And so, oh, yeah, already up there. So work, th- this, is, this is where it boils down to. Works brings curse and death. But faith brings life and blessing in life. And that's the principle here. We cannot rely on works of any kind because when it do, that will not produce what we hope. But only faith. And this has implications. And this is where I really want to, you know, the, the, to camp the rest of the sermon is what are the implications of this for our church? Because legalism has two sides. You know, like it's two sides of a coin. Because what we talked previously was about how it affects us personally. But it also affects when collectively when we get to, when when a group of people buy into works uh, and not faith, uh, it has an effect. And I want to talk about that today because uh, because it will affect everything. Like like even how you out do an outreach into our community, and we have one of those coming up. Because it it's not important how we outreach to the community, as it's not as important as how we do it, but how. Uh, let me just read it. The way we choose to reach uh, out, do outreach into our community is not as important as the heart in which we do it. That's what I was trying to say. God cares more about the heart. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think like, and like plan and have good ideas about how to reach our community. But that's not where our hope is. It's not that we're going to get some clever marketing, you know, or get some, you know, bring some uh, consultants in to give us, you know, like what's, the, what's worked in the past. No, we're going to rely on God and trust and pray that God is going to move and work. God doesn't need our works, but he wants our heart. So if we in- attempt an outreach like this trunk or tree, and it do- maybe it doesn't go well. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't come off, off as polished as we'd hoped. Uh, it comes off a little cheesy. Maybe it doesn't have the turnout that we want. Whatever it is. If our hope is in the, our, abil- our own abilities and our own marketing of, you know, schemes, we're going to fail. Don't expect God to bless that. But if our hope rests in God's power and we are in prayer over this, then God's going to work no matter how it comes off because God's power is not limited by our ability. In fact, God loves using weak people to do great things. Uh, and just, just a quick survey of some of the, 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 the people throughout Scripture. I mean, take David. David was a shepherd boy, youngest of his siblings, and and God takes him and sets him up against Goliath, the giant that the, the, ar- the Israelite army was too afraid to fight. And this little shepherd boy takes down Goliath. And then God raises David up to be a king. He took this weak shepherd boy and made him king. Or take Moses. God, was, God called Moses to lead the Israelites. Uh, and and, and uh, Moses, you know, God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. And says, Moses, you know, you go, go lead my people and, and call them out of Egypt. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, uh, send somebody else. I, I, I can't talk. I, I can't speak well. Send somebody else. 
Uh, to the point where God kind of gets angry with him and says, fine, I'll, I'll send your brother with you. You know, but like God uses him though and he becomes a great lead. Like he, he leads the people of Israel out, out of slavery in Egypt and in, they become their own nation uh, as Moses leads them. Now, or take Paul. Paul is the most unlikely because he, he starts his life off as a Pharisee condemning the church, you know, hunting down Christians and persecuting them. God gets a hold of him and he changes his life, spends the rest of his life planting churches and furthering the gospel and gives his life for that. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 about weakness. And I, I love this passage. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the, of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to har- harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But, but, he, but he, he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. The principle there is God, the weaker we are, the more magnificent God's power can be seen through us. The more clearly God's power can be seen. And so we need to get this, Emmanuel. Like we are, we are few in number, live with limited resources, but we're not, God's not limited by that. We're not limited by that. We're not limited by our resources, but only by our faith and how, how devoted to prayer we are for this church. So let's recognize our weakness and let it lead us to throwing our, ourselves before our God who has all the power. So let's be in prayer. Let's be in prayer, church. So I want to ask this question, though. How do you know when we're living by faith? Like, how do you know when our church is living by faith? How, how do you know when you're living by faith? And I would say the answer to that is you will know you're living by faith when you're willing to submit to God's will when it doesn't line up with your will. Because that's what kind of what happens with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had their way of doing things. They had their oral traditions. Uh, and here comes Jesus messing things up. Like, they're like, wait a second. We don't eat with the Gentiles. We don't eat meat. We don't, uh, we don't work on the Sabbath. And here's Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. What are you doing, Jesus? You know, they're upset. They're ro- Jesus is rocking the boat. They have their way of doing things. And here comes Jesus rocking the boat. Are we willing to submit to God's will when it doesn't line up with our will? The Pharisees were not. Isaiah 55, 8 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So God's ways are not man's ways. So the moment we're unwilling to change or to do something new or different be, and, and because we're following God's leading, we have now entered legalism and religion because we are apart from God now. Like we are unwilling to change our ways because God is calling us to do something else. And that was the Pharisees. They would not, that they, God was rocking the boat. Like they had their way of doing things. And they killed him for it. So we must not less let our preferences or our personal convictions keep us from doing the will of God. And now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with having preferences or personal convictions. In fact, that's good. Everyone should have their preferences and their um, personal convictions in their life. 
And this is where I, I talked about earlier um, in, in this sermon series, where God had, has personally convicted me that I'm not allowed to play video games. I get addicted to them. That's all I do. Like, I spent hours and hours upon hours playing video games. But what I tended to do with that personal conviction is then I wanted to place it on the entire church and start judging every single person I met that played video games. So what I'm saying is, yes, God needs to call in your life personal convictions, but you don't place them on other people or the church. That's, that was a personal conviction that God has called you to. So we need to have preferences and personal convictions, but don't let that stop us from doing the will of God. Don't let that hinder us uh, because that is basically what happened to the Pharisees. They're, you know, like w- w- that I also mentioned this in the earlier ser- of the sermon series. I read an article that talked about those oral traditions that were passed down. They started because they, they read the law and the law said, don't, here's the line, don't cross that line. And so they were like, the leaders were like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, offend God. We don't want to break his law, so we're going to put some padding between us and that, and, that, and we're going to say, no, 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 we're going to draw a line here to keep us from there. That, you know, if you want to do that in your own life, that is great, and that sounds like a good thing, but when that became equal to God's law, the, then that, the, it became legalism. They fell into legalism, and they started judging other people, including Jesus, for not following their oral, oral traditions. So, two questions for reflection for you on this. Um, one, are you willing to submit to God's will when it doesn't make sense? Um, and I'd like to take, uh, for, with these questions, I'm going to take a, a example from Scripture. So the first one is, is in the, from the New Testament, Acts chapter 8, and it's Philip. It's in, and this is uh, Acts 8, verse 4. Now those who are, were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with loud voices, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was much joy in the city. So Philip goes down to Samaria and starts preaching the word of God. And people start accepting it. They're they're seeing miracles happen. uh, And the the whole city's in joy. That's awesome. So he's got this awesome little ministry going in Samaria. And then two verses later, actually, way more than two, it's verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So if I was Philip, and, and that's it, that's all we're told. That, that, that's all he got is what we're told. So if I was Philip, I'd be like, uh, God, I'm in Samaria and I've got this thriving ministry here. Why are you telling me to go down to the desert, this desert road? You know, like, shouldn't I be here where I'm most effective? So this, this is a, kind of a test on, on, on Philip's faith. Does he trust God to know what, you know, the, the, what's best? You know, like, and, and he, it's the word, it's in verse 27, it says, and he rose and he went. And he ends up uh, leading the uh, Ethiopian to Christ on that road. Uh, but he didn't know, but he just obeyed. So we, are we willing to obey God's will when it doesn't make sense. Uh, and that's hard sometimes, because we don't see every, everything. God, God sees beginning to end, and sometimes he's going to call us to do things that just doesn't make sense. So how's that going to help? How's that? Um, so are we willing to do that? And only you can answer that. That's the first question that I would put, toward, put to you this morning. Second question is, are you willing to submit to God's will when you're uncomfortable with it? And I've got an interesting example for this one. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 20. It says, 
In the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign, and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria be led away, uh, lead away the Egyptian ca- uh, captives and the Cushite exiles, both young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered and naked, the nakedness of Egypt. If I was Isaiah, I'd be like, surely I must have heard you wrong. Like, there's some misunderstanding that cannot be what you're calling, uh, you know, like telling me to do. We're all going around naked for three years, and I hope... You know, God never calls you to do something like that. Um, but I would I'd, I'd actually say that, I'd, uh, you know, we, but back then, God spoke through uh, the prophets, directly through the prophets, that he had directly heard from God. Now, God speaks through the Holy Spirit and helping us you know, to understand his word. He speaks through his word, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand, understand it. So if you feel like God's calling you to walk around naked, he's not. He's not. Um, so I don't want you to take the, the wrong lesson here. God's not calling any of you to do that. But the point is, if God called you to do something you're uncomfortable with, would you do it? Uh, and I had a little, you know, just to give you an example from my own life, is the first time that I, I did, ever did mission, you know, I went down to the mission, and we did a, a breakfast. I was really uncomfortable with that. Because I, I, the church I was with was doing, did multiple things at the same time, and you could choose which one you wanted to go with. And I wanted, you know, they were painting a building, and I wanted to choose, paint the building just so that I didn't have to go there. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. That's not okay. And, I, I, and then I changed my mind, and I chose to go to the mission just because I was uncomfortable with it. Um, I want to, you know, be able to follow God's will even when I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, just because I don't know what to say. I just didn't, I'm, not a, I'm not a good people person. I don't know what to say and what to talk about. But, the, the, that, but that's the thing, though. Like, are you willing to do God's will even when you're uncomfortable with it? Uh, and I can't answer that for you. Only you can. Those are just two, two questions for reflection for you to... to, to Figure out whether you're um, struggling with any legalism in your life. Because that, that's what it, it comes down to. Are we, will, are we letting our preferences, our comfort, our way of doing things, our personal convictions, whatever it may be, have such a high standing in our life that it hinders God's work in us, through us, and in our church? So in closing... This is kind of a hard word, I mean, because especially the way Paul brought it. Oh, foolish Galatians. Like, he's, he has some harsh words here. But it's also good news. It's a warning and a promise. It's a warning that works is going to bring curse and death. But faith will bring blessing and life. So if we get this, if we, by faith, are willing to be obedient to God's will, great things can happen through Emmanuel, because we're not limited by our size. God, and how amazing will God's, God's power be seen through us when he does something great? You know, because no one's going to expect it. We, we're limited in, in, in people and in resources. But he won't do it unless we're committed uh, to, to, to God and to bringing this church in prayer. So I, I, I would, if you take nothing else away, take this away. Be in prayer for your church. So let's pray. Lord God, this morning, I pray that we would throw ourselves upon your mercy, Lord. God, use Emmanuel for your glory, Lord. Do a great work here in these people and through these people. 
not because we have any ability of our own to work, to earn it, to, uh, but because of your uh, mercy and love and grace, uh, you are capable, you have the ability and the power to make this happen, Lord, and I pray that you would do a great work through Emmanuel. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.